And you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill and streaming online everywhere at WERU.org. Boat Talk with your hosts Alan Sprague and Mike Joyce is up next. I survive the pinch of fish and take some home to Lizer. Oh, Didn't even hear it coming. Yeah. I got no volume at all. Here we go, Gippy. Yeah. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk here on Community Radio WERU FM Blue Hill. Now, up to Bangor at 99.9. It's time for Boat Talk here on Community Radio, WERU. Boat Talk is a call-in radio show with your uh, two rusty anchors, Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague. Um, it's a show that's always willing to go to new depths to be in a league of its own. <laughs> that was a good one. You don't have much volume in your headphones there, do you, Giffy? No. No, neither do I. Can um, you turn something up there, Amy? Is that possible? No. None of us no. can hardly hear any of that. That's a lot better. That's, Thank that's you. Better. And uh, kind of backwards introduction, but our friend Giffy Full is back from Welcome his. Back, uh, Thank you. Yeah, winter trip down to Florida and, uh, you Take know, <laughs> making us look good and, and much more experienced, at least, anyway. How was your winter, Giffy? Did you get Very any boating? Good. Very good. Yeah. You didn't take the boat down to Florida no, this winter? No. Love to, but no. I've uh, come to the conclusion that uh, I better behave myself. Did you get to spend any time on the water, even so? No, I didn't. Um, no, I just uh, stayed away from it. <laughs> Are you still... Not a good attitude, is it? <laughs> well, uh, and I know you're uh, retired, uh, so to speak, but do you still end up looking at a boat sometime this winter? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, your expertise, again, is, is uh, you know, hard-earned with the years, and, and why not uh, keep sharing it? Well, that's, that's all that's important to me now is that, you know, to help other people along the line. And uh, to me, that's very important. If you can't help somebody, you're, what's the point of being around? Yeah. Simple Get, as that. Our friend Giffy, uh, for folks that haven't met him, is probably... I would just guess the most experienced boat surveyor in America, if not, uh, you know, quite a bit of wider, wider spread area as well. And we'll be uh, speaking about the Charles W. Morgan, Chase W. Morgan, down in uh, Mystic, Connecticut today that, that uh, an associate of Giffy's has looked at a couple of times, yeah. so it's all kind of connected. 1841. Yeah. Boy, it's an oldie. Built stout, too. Anyway, we are doing boat talk this morning, and uh, we have a couple of people to talk to we think, and uh, hopefully we'll be getting Gary Wheeler on the phone in a minute here He's down in Rockland. He's on that one, I believe. He is, all right. And uh, we'll just skip the uh, news stuff here about the radioactive water, about the oil spills down in the Gulf. Uh, uh, the fellow who uh, built a lobster pier and then couldn't pile his traps on it because it was sh- the traps were shading the, the rockweed. We don't have time to talk about that right now either, but, but maybe we can later. Giffy just made a face and shook his head on that one. Well, I'm convinced there's people that have nothing better to do than sit around and think up 
regulations. Not in my backyard. That would be my point of view, you know. So anyway, uh, Gary Wheeler, do you happen to be on the phone there? Uh, yeah, I'm here. Welcome, Good morning, Gary. Uh, Gary morning, Wheeler. Guys. Uh, beautiful day. You hate you. Oh, isn't it? Uh, spring is gorgeous. The, uh, uh, when I call down to your place, you answer the phone, uh, mast mate. What the heck's a mast mate, Gary? Well, a mast mate is an alternative somewhat to the bosun's chair as far as going up your mast. And basically, it's just a uh, flexible, alternating step ladder made of two-inch nylon webbing that uh, attaches to the sail track. And you pull it up just like you would your mainsail. And you secure the uh, halyard, and then you just uh, climb right up. And you can do it by yourself, and uh, the advantage is, of course, you can you can do it alone, and also it uh, it has a better body position for working than you know, kind of sitting in a chair because your body's right next to the mast. And I have a work belt I sell with it that kind of is like a linesman belt that uh, the guys use on a telephone pole, where it's a strap that goes around the mast and uh, back uh, clips to the opposite side, so you can lean back and be supported on your backside. And you can work with both hands free, so it's a it's an alternative system I was, on the uh, market since 1986. Well, I think we should probably first um, back up, pardon the pun, and sure. explain just what a bosun's chair is for the people who uh, are uh, landlubbers, as it were. Sometimes you got to work at the top of the mast when ah, it's I sticking guess. straight up in the air. And I was just about to remind you of our conversation the other day. I, 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 when I was a kid, I used to love to go up the mast. Man, it was great up there. Great, good view. You can often see the water. And uh, I spent six hours up there one time and one day in Bermuda, and I never want to go up a mast again. And the uh, city, city, sitting, yeah, come down with my legs all numb. Yeah. Uh, you know, couldn't stand up and uh, cold and and very uncomfortable. Now your ladder system, everybody knows that a rope ladder is kind of hard to climb. Right. This one's made out of nylon webbing. It alternates steps, and this is uh, not a bad way to get up the mast for people that are prone to go up there in the first place. Well, yeah, plus it, uh, the security is somewhat in the fact that it's attached to the track, so it's not spinning all around on you. It's, it's kind of devilish if you try to climb it freestanding, although some people do. But uh, it's the attachment to the track that stabilizes the system. Oh, it makes it much easier for you to climb. As you said, it's kind of a niche market. You got uh, yeah, first you're looking at somebody with a sailboat mast, then they got to have uh, uh, you know, the disposition to climb up there in the first place, that, that rules out a bunch of people that won't even clean their own gutters. And, uh, you know, as you said, when you were working up the product, you bring it to the lawyer and stuff, and he says, you're going to, what? No, that's crazy. That's not safe. You know, you're selling a product that's inherently unsafe when you get right down to it. Sure. Yeah. Um, but it works, and it's been copied by other people around the world. Isn't that right? Yeah, I think that's probably the greatest compliment. <laughs> and actually, it's been on the market for, let's see, this will be the 25th year. And uh, I have never really heard of somebody getting hurt. Of course, I wouldn't necessarily hear about it because the lawyer would look first at what I'm worth and decide it's not worth suing me. And so <laughs> so I, wouldn't hear, I wouldn't hear from the lawyers. But it's, a, it's an extremely safe system because the webbing itself is like 6,000-pound test. It's a heavy-duty webbing, plus the stone strength is about 3,000 pounds. And it's, it's just built really well. And the same people have been making it here in this country in California for the last 20 years. So they, they know what they're doing, and the stitching is really high quality. It's just a, it's a quality item. It's one of those items that does what it's supposed to do. You know, it doesn't do other things. I mean, some people 
want to buy it for a fire escape or a, for a tree climb for a, a hunting stand for deer or something like that. It just doesn't work well at that. I mean, you can do it, but it's not what it's designed for. It does what it's designed for. It does well. Gary, in portfolio terms, this is kind of it's like having a song that plays royal pays royalties, isn't it? You you sell well, actually it is. It's some of these perfect, every year. And... It's almost a perfect product because I mean, even though it was patented at one time, the patents wore down. Now it's been twenty years. But even if you have a patent, if if you have an item that uh, a company wants to steal, they'll steal it. Because it's worth their it's worth their marketing effort to to take the item and then just tie you up in court, and then maybe end up paying you something at the end of the game, but not much. Change a couple of notes in your yeah, song and try this, to pass it off as new. But this particular item, because of the fact of the high risk of the latter kind of in in the liability, uh, nobody really wanted to look at it that way, and it's it's expensive to make, and I didn't want to have it made overseas, so that's why it's all uh, mail order basically. To put it in the store, we just put the pricing out of range for people. So in that sense, it's in mail order. So in, I've, I pretty much managed the whole thing myself, so there hasn't been a great deal of high-tech marketing put into it. I mean, the website has served me well. It's just massmate.com, and I advertise in a few of the magazines, depending on the season. And uh, up until the last few years, it was it was slightly growing a little bit each year, but the economy's hit it pretty hard the last couple of years. Um, but it's not my main source of income, but it's provided a you know, backup for a long, lot of years. Nice. Plus the contacts I get with sailors kind of all over the world. It's, it's really kind of interesting. Nice. Now, your career otherwise has been, uh, you've, you've uh, repaired a lot of boats. Well, I did a lot uh, in San Francisco mainly, although when I was in my late 20s, uh, I ended up in Gloucester, was kind of traveling around, and I'd always been a carpenter on houses and stuff. I went to school for a long time and actually trained as a psychologist. I kind of hit the road and, and ended up in Gloucester and started working down at Manchester Marine for a while and kind of fell in love with uh, the whole boat carpentry thing. It had an artistry about it that just really appealed to me. And I kind of stuck with it uh, the rest of my life, uh, doing other stuff on the side, but that, that kind of maintained me through the years and never got boring and uh, san francisco is a really interesting place to work because there are a lot of wood boats a lot of old class boats uh racing class sailboats the pretty monterey's that they're down at fisherman's wharf the fishing boats they use there they're a takeoff from the felucca uh, freeze to death out there too in the summer <laughs> oh man it's cold and it does it blow i mean you put your foul weather gear on at the dock before you go out i mean you just uh Every afternoon, it's 30, 35. So it, uh, it's a pretty high-intense place to sail, so a lot of boats need a lot of work because it is pretty. And most of your boats out there are full keel. And it, it, was, it's a lot of, it was a lot of fun, and I just subcontracted. I owned a couple of boats myself out there when I was there, and I lived on them. It was a cheap way to live in San Francisco. So it was great. So we've, uh, like say, um been more towards boat repair than, than building new ones. Yeah, no, I never got, I built some small new ones, but mainly just stuck with uh, the repair because that's, that's where the money was, really. Well, but it teaches you quite a bit, too. What I like to say is that uh, you can tell how, uh, a test of how well something is built is how it ages, and, and things that age well are built well and, and, and uh, also are usually renewable. But the point I'm getting to now is you've written a book about boat repair. 
Well, yeah, mainly because on my website for years, I've uh, had people asking me questions about how to fix boats. I, I advertise on the website that I've had experience and, and invited people to ask questions. And there, there's another website called the uh, Marine Do-It-Yourselfer. The guy has by the name of Bob Pone. And on that site, he lists uh, professionals in the field that people can ask questions to, and I'm listed there. So I got a lot of questions from that site as well. So it's 20 years of questions and answers, and I finally decided to kind of collate the whole thing and turn it into a book because a lot of people asked if I had, a, had it all in one spot that they could look at. So it was kind of fun, and I found out that self-publishing is a real feasible way to do it without trying to convince a publisher that it's, you know, and again, it's a niche market thing, so it wouldn't be viable on a, on a large level. But with self-publishing, you can print as many as you want, and you can do all the designing yourself, and it's, uh, it's really a, quite a deal. I mean, uh, for a 500-page book, it basically costs you $14 to get a copy of a 500-page book and a professional copy, not a, you know, it doesn't look at all self-published. And if somebody orders one, the the uh, publishing people they they knock one up and yeah, send they, it out well, for you. Yeah, actually they can. Yeah, they can do that, or they have some already in stock. But I can order them uh, as many as I want at a certain time, and it takes about a week or ten days to get the copies. So I have copies now, and mainly in the uh, in the Rockland uh, Rock City Books and Coffee here in Rockland. It's an interesting and, system, though. It it uh, goes behind the the big uh, publishing. Well, there's a lot right, of people doing it now. There really is a lot of people doing it because yeah. it does get behind that. And then you got to get noticed, though. you got to get noticed. That's the big part is yeah. the, the marketing. But I really didn't do that for this purpose. I, I sort of just did it for local stuff and so my kids would see a, their father on the cover of a book. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's awful. It's worth the $14. It strikes me as awful similar to what we do here around Boat Talk, well, you know? Well, it's true. And it's, that, it's kind of like Car Talk, you know, the show Car Talk where people ask questions and... The questions are a lot funnier than the answers. I mean, some of the questions are really quite bizarre, but but it's fun, uh, you know, trying to help people um, you know, deal with, with their projects and not to, mainly not to get too over their head. There's so many boats sitting around that people have started working on, and they just, you know, they, they, they start with a little rebuild, and it turns into a monster, and then the boat never gets finished. You know, it sits there in the yard. So I try to discourage that. Well, and basically what you're doing, I mean, you can't hold somebody's hand uh, no. too closely, but you can provide the background of expertise is what we like to yeah, think around Boat Talk here is the biggest, you know, uh, valuable thing you can have is, is uh, expertise and, and kind of set the scene for them. Yeah, no, that's basically true and, and try to steer them in certainly the right direction. And there's some, you know, just some basic principles like, you know, you, you should fix something the way it was built. You shouldn't necessarily take something that's been built in a certain way and then apply all these different uh, techniques to it uh, that, that create hard spots and create different kinds of stresses that wouldn't be there if you did it the traditional way. So, Oh, Gary, I, I, I don't know that we have the time to have a uh, Sikaflex <laughs> argument this morning. No, you know, no, no, I don't. I, I'm not a big I fan of 5200, but I do love that Sikaflex. I have so. it all written out here for you. Yeah, <laughs> and that epoxy, I mean, good God, man, you got to be a fan of epoxy. Come on. Well, yeah, in ways, but I'll tell you, I'd rather take a... Uh, a fitting or a block off that's been better than Dolphinite than one that's been better than Secreflex. Oh yeah, or fifty two hundred. Yeah. You know, so I, that kind of stuff, I try to steer people towards. But no, the the modern stuff certainly it does have its advantages. But if you're if you're working on an old Carvel boat that needs uh, recaulking, you know, 
you can't just pull that cotton out and put in 5200 if you think it can no. work. Huh? Well, looking at a old uh, Carvel uh, sailboat right now, that they've glassed the bottom from the yeah. water line down, and she's cracked just below the shear all the way around the top. Yep. You know, could be connected. Who knows? But uh, well, a lot of people ask that on the on the, the questions too. And the, as we talked yesterday, the only way you can do it right is to basically use the boat as a mold and make a fiberglass boat on the outside and with the, the one compost on the inside. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. That's yeah. Basically. So anyway, no, and like say, uh, flexibility is another yes. thing we're a big fan of yeah. here. Yeah. yeah, flexibility. Yeah. And for a lot of people who make money repairing boats, you know, there's always a compromise between the cost and, and making the, the fix work for the person. So you can't always do the ideal restoration. You know, you may have to do a partial fix that works, you know. Well, Gary, we might want to keep you in our back pocket here as an excuse, you know. Somebody will call up Boat Talk and ask us a question we know nothing about, and we'll say, well, well geez, that Gary Wheeler, he's got a book about well, that. Well, I tell you, you got, you got Giffy there. I don't think there's that, That's on page that. 498, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. So anyway, and how do, how do people access the uh, Massmate thing and, and the Q&A boat repair? Well, the, um, the, uh, the Massmate website is, it's just www.massmate.com, and at the, at the base of the uh, homepage, there's an advertisement for the book. They can click right on that and go directly where the book can be ordered, or they can review a few pages of it if they want to. And as I say, it is, it is available at the Rock City Bookstore uh, here, in, uh, here in Rockland. And actually, I'll be doing kind of a, a book signing thing there on uh, July 8th and talking a bit about the book. Nice. Yeah, so it's, it's, all, it's all good stuff. It's all fun. So it's been a lot of fun. Well, like I say, uh, local author, man, I'm jealous. Uh, you know, I, well, I think that's how you got it. you got at least one book, and if not two. Oh, uh, I'm no just thinking. There's no excuse anymore. There's that, no excuse. That's just what I was thinking. We go back to all the old tapes of Boat Talk. We just write it down and well, publish it. Yeah, I was going to say. But who's going to buy that? that? Well, I don't know. You never know. Yeah, that would be the... <laughs> you would. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, Gary, we're awful glad to talk to you this morning. Okay. Well, I've always, you know, compliments to you guys. I've, I've enjoyed listening to your, to your show. There's not many places you can go and turn on the radio once a month and hear people talk about uh, old boats and fixing boats and all the stuff that goes with it. So it's a, I give you credit for sticking with it and doing it. That works because it's fun, man. Thanks. Yep. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Thank you, Gary. All right. Thank you, guys. Have a good day. All right. That's Gary Wheeler down in Rock, Rockland, Maine this morning. The Mast Mate. Mastmate.com. 1-866-625-9378. This is, as we said, a call-in show, and I think it's, you haven't given the number before that. 1-866-625-9378. Anything particular on your mind? Here's a, uh, another thing from the uh, newspaper here, the Bangor Daily News, uh, March 29th. Here's a picture of our good friend Greg Russell. Greg Russell, right there. From uh, a world of music here at WERU. He's also on the board here, but he is a, 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 a well-known boat builder. He writes for Wooden Boat Magazine, teaches for him, and he's teaching some uh, students in Searsport. i got to remark that the ceiling in that picture is not your usual boat shop ceiling. No, it's a room at the uh, Penobscot Marine Museum, and it's a uh, stamped tin ceiling, which uh, you don't get in your uh, lower-class shops, you know. But again, uh, kids, and uh, these kids, I believe, are, uh, uh, you know, he is stressing the connections with other disciplines, math. And again, uh, uh, there's a couple programs running right now, and, and they've got the kids 
working with the boats and these are, are probably not the best motivated uh, how, how can we put this uh, you know the the keenest students in the school I think we'd be pretty good examples of that back in our time <laughs> well yeah. I wish some yeah. oh man I wish uh, you know man the idea of uh, building a boat shop class just about too much to think about um, I built a little medicine cabinet. Couldn't understand how it get thicker every time you added a board to it, and I left it in the woods on the way home from school. Well, it was being... I, I think it's wonderful to teach kids to use their hands to build things. Um, I see so many children now that all they do is play with a computer, and uh, they can't do anything with their hands. They don't produce anything. Yeah. The feedback is great. Our friend uh, Muriel Cookson, she was in down Rockland with the uh, gig there. She was in the paper just a little while ago, taking out uh, under-motivated students in the gig. And in the gig, uh, we were down uh, rigging up the uh, Presto 30 there. Muriel was on a little finger pier uh, just across the harbor, getting a crowd of people into one of these gigs. And yeah, you... Pretty much going to do what Muriel says. And all, yeah, all female first-timers, and they were having fun. Uh, Muriel uh, kind of takes control of that situation, though, and again, she is she's doing that for everybody's safety and, and oh, get everybody sure. going in the same direction, but those kids get in that boat, and uh, they learn about behaving and cooperating and all pulling together, and it's a wonderful thing for the kids, and, and uh, <coughs> boy, we couldn't, couldn't support it more. Mm. Yeah. Well, we have our... Uh, Friend Jeff Gold on the oh, line thank God. now too. Who is Jeff? Jeff is down on uh, down in Mystic, Connecticut, right now at Mystic Seaport Museum, working on the whale ship C.W. Morgan. Good morning, Jeff. Hey, good morning, Alan. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Thank you. Now, um, I should tell people who uh, who are maybe listening or to this at, on their computers. If you go to the Boat Talk website, boattalk.org. There's already pictures of what you, what you have. I see you're right in the boat right now, aren't you? Yes, I am. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and driving in nails. How could you tell? Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, uh, boattalk.org, there's pictures of uh, what you've been doing on the boat there. And one of the things you're doing right now is uh, bending in some three-inch um, is it yellow, uh, yellow pine planks for the ceiling inside the boat. That's right. Yeah. That's it. Three inch thick, we're saying now, not three inches wide. That must be quite a wrestling match. Well, we put them in a steam box for uh, three, three hours. Steam the, this yellow pine. Yeah, steam the yellow pine for three hours, and uh, they get all gooey with, with the sap run right out of them. And then uh, we, we haul them up on the boat, and uh, we clamp them in place with uh, big clamps that go uh, right through the, uh, the planking, and then uh, uh, with one-inch thread, threaded rod, and then uh, yard down on them with a big, um, uh, like, wing nuts yep. and, and wedges to bring yep. them down. They can take the bend and the curve. Right. There's a picture of that in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the website. Pretty interesting. You've got a chain fall going there behind you now, too, huh? Uh, yep. What are you doing with yeah, that? Uh, well, I think he's going to lift it up so he can uh, trim it maybe... Uh, from the butt, it, it, these ceiling planks, they're probably uh, four or 500 pounds on average, maybe. Now, we, uh, we back up for a second and explain to people what a ceiling plank is. People might imagine it goes on the roof, you know, on the inside of the roof, but that's not true. A ceiling plank on a boat is the sheathing on the inside of the boat. Right. Um, if you're up in the fore berth and your yacht, it would be the teak strips that, uh, you know, parallel the shear there. 
But in this boat that Charles W. Morgan's built in 1841, it's a whaler and meant to go out for years at a time and work really hard in really tough places. And so what we're talking about is the inside sheathing on this boat, the ceiling planks, they are three inches thick. Yeah, that's, that's it's just more massive. than ceiling. It's, uh, yeah. it's really an inner planking. In many cases, that inner plank is thicker than the outside plank in some of the old boats that I've surveyed. No kidding. Yeah. And I, they wouldn't waste wood, let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, you know, they put that much wood well, there for you, good reason. Are you finding anything that's similar there? Oh, well, uh, that, that's pretty much good. The, the, the outside planking is also three-inch uh, yellow pine, and there's also some white oak planking where it's uh, going to take some really sharp bends, especially back aft. But um, it's, it's pretty much uh, three-inch uh, thick inside and out. And uh, 14, 14 inches seems to be... Uh, the max, which uh, the, the the lumber, or the, the 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 logs we've got and the and the planks we've cut, you know, it's, it's hard to get anything over 14 for anything more than 20 or 30 feet. So uh, I think we're probably working with the same, you know, parameters that uh, they worked with 170 years ago because the widest, you know, uh, planks they have are around 14 inches, and uh, some of the oak ones are maybe around 16 inches outside. But so um, yes, it's, it's quite heavy and. Uh, I see that uh, book about Percy and Small. There, they talk about how the inside, the ceiling planking, is, is to give a more structural strength than the outside. And the outside is just skin, and those were uh, they show them edge fastened, but these are just trunnel fastened and, uh, and fastened with spikes. And uh, um, it, it didn't seem to be as heavy as those, those boats. So those main built schooners, those turn of the century bass boats. I, I think, especially because of the length, they really had to try to beef them up, you know. But uh, this boat, the framing is so heavy, you know, she's got 10 by 10 uh, framing, and there's only an inch or two between them. You know, it's almost, you know, one frame right up against the other. So uh, she's, she's pretty stout, you know, uh, that way. What, uh, how's, uh, how are you doing with your live oak for frame and frame products? Well, we, we got a pretty good charge that from uh, Hurricane Katrina and a couple of the other ones. You know, they've been collecting it over a few years. Yeah, and uh, so so put in uh, about two hundred new uh, in new pieces. Uh, I wasn't used to the terminology. I never worked on a on a vessel like this before. But you know, because the, uh, the the frames are so long with so much curve, they have to be cut out of uh, you know uh, sections and uh, about oh maybe eight feet long, and then uh, you know fastened together sideways, frontal fastened. But we put in about two hundred new fuddocks. And uh, probably about a hundred thousand pounds worth, and we, we still have some uh, live oak across the street. And we also got uh, when they were uh, just recently they were uh, excavating at the uh, Charleston shipyard up in uh, Boston. And when they dug down, they found a load of uh, old live oak uh, timbers that uh, they were already, um, you know, cut to uh, some phallic uh, shapes and. Uh, Luckily, before they sent too many of those to the chipper, uh, they got in touch with us, and uh, so we have, we have quite a few of those too that have been buried for about a hundred and seventy yeah, years. Those were probably all cut down south, right in the forest. Yep. Before yep. they ever ever uh, ever got to Boston, and yep. they'd take a pattern right into the woods, yeah. and they'd hack cut, off yeah. most of the wood right there yeah, in the forest. Yeah, try to cut it while it's green. Yeah. Yes. Yep. And now down south the some places you to 
heavy fine if you cut down a live oak tree without a special permit. Mm-hmm. Well, I've seen pictures of them. They're beautiful trees. They uh, don't look anything like an oak, and, and uh, the, the leaves don't look like oak, and they don't uh, drop their leaves at all. But I guess because they have acorns, I guess they're in the oak family. But that stuff, it's, it's so heavy, it, it sinks like a stone. It's about 25% heavier than, than water. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's hard. It's hard stuff. You know, it's a very dense grain. And, uh, it's pretty wood, but it, it does uh, dry and, and check in kind of crazy ways. I've I got to ask you another question. What's the quality of your planking? Oh, the uh, the alpine. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'd say it, I'd say it's, it's it's good, Giffy. You know, I don't know how much to compare it to, but uh, um, it's uh, it's good old growth. You know, it's not that fast growth new stuff. Okay. I, you know, they, yeah, they, they, the, they, they went and found people down there that were willing to part with some of it, and uh, you know, it's old growth. And uh, oh, you know, um, you know, we we milled it up here. Uh, few months ago, so it, some of it goes back a little further. It hasn't had a lot of time to dry, but it makes it easier to bend, too. But And, uh, you know, we're using so much of it. Uh, you know, we pick through as much as we can. You know, definitely you know, no sapwood. You know, we, we have to get around all sapwood. But other than that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just long sections of... Yeah, uh, well, that's great. That's great, because yeah. I figured you'd have trouble getting quality material for the planking. And when he's talking about quality material, think about going to the lumber yard and getting some southern yellow pine that's the pressure-treated stuff nowadays. That's just horrible wood. It's grown so fast. Well, see, the yeah, other you know. problem is that so much of your southern hard pine has been bled for turpentine. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Good point. Yeah. They've taken the oils yeah, right yeah, out of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then, then when it gets cut for lumber, it doesn't stand up. Not like a maple tree where you take the maple oh. syrup out and the tree's still good, you know. Hey, Jeff, um, we know each other from, from uh, you know, building and fixing yeah. Hankleys and sailing around, stuff <laughs> yeah. like that. And I this forgot. is, as you say, a whole new, uh, new kind of league you're in down there at the Mystic Seaport. And isn't it so great that we all get to say words like fuddock on the radio, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. What's a fuddock? Explain, uh, yeah, explain, define fuddock for folks. Okay, yeah. Um, well, I say uh, each. Well, if you want to get the technical, okay. Each frame, it's, it's double sawn uh, frames, so um, you can't build the frame up out of uh, you know, say eight foot pieces. You know, it's got to go up. Oh, just where we're working down the hole, it's got to go up uh, vertically about twelve feet, and it's, it's taking the shape of the the boat too. So. Um, you just can't get a piece of wood that's uh, big enough to cut to that shape. So you have to have uh, sections of six, eight, nine feet long piled on top of each other to get that whole uh, curve and length. So to give it uh, structural strength, they're done in uh, pairs uh, next to each other and, uh, and then fastened uh, crosswise so that each pair... Um, of combined products makes a frame. So each frame would have, uh, oh, from, from the keel to the shear, I think uh, seven uh, products. And then, um, so that'd be 14 products total. 
and and they'd be staggered, so so the butts are, uh, um, you know, uh, in between sections, you know, so so none of none of the butts fall in line. Lots of wood. And uh, yeah, so so the futtock is each individual section, each individual piece of framing that gets. Uh, yeah, it's um, a better way to say up. it. Just a sh- sh- short section of uh, frames to g- in order to get the curve out of it, and then they're they're doubled up and, and drifted or bolted or really put together with trunnels. Thank you, Giffy. Wooden pegs, wooden, yeah. wooden nails, so to speak. Yeah. Um, yeah. Jeff, this boat sits in the museum there in the water, I'm guessing, and it's been on display for a long time. What kind of shape is she in? What, what kind of, uh, we on a major rebuild here? Oh, this is a major rebuild, definitely, and uh, it's actually uh, quite a bold uh, undertaking. Uh, the uh, new head of the museum a couple years ago, uh, Steve White, he, he decided that uh, this boat should uh, sail again and should go to sea. So they built a, uh, a new ship lift. So it's, it's, there's a vertical um, lift dock that she came out on uh, two years ago. So she's all blocked up and, and uh, so on. And, and then, so she's hauled out. And, um, but remarkably, you know, for, uh, I mean, if people wonder about the durability of wood, this is a 170-year-old boat. And when we t- took off the ceiling planking uh, last year, a little more than a year ago, you know, no one had seen that that's that framing, you know, uh, in 170 years, and uh, the framing down low, the, uh, the the first timbers, she's got uh, four timbers all along, and then next to that, the first futtock in pairs, and all of those are uh, still sound, and and it's pretty amazing because, like with the four timbers, it, they have to take such a, a bend to go up one side of the boat, underneath the keelson, and then up the other side of the boat, all in one piece, that uh, a lot of them, uh, one side was, you know, dimensioned off, you know, squared off, and the other side is still a branch. I mean, you look at it, and you see a branch, and sometimes it's got a crook in it and all, and then where they needed to, they put, you know, shims of all different sorts underneath it, and you can reach down in there and see on some of them, there's, uh, it's either bark or sapwood. They just left it right on there, and, and uh, but you take a hammer that, and, and Giffy's uh, man Paul was down here surveying her, so you know, just take my word for it. I mean, they're, amazingly, they're, uh, there isn't a bad one in there, really. After and 170 years of uh, sitting in the village covered up like that. And the old Charles W. Morgan has not sailed for quite a while. Not since 1920. Well, she came here in 1941, but under power. Yeah. Mm. Our she friend Giffy here was... Uh, Giffy was involved... Uh, trying to figure out if they could sail old Ironsides, USS Constitution, again. And yeah. I guess why not, you know? Yeah, they could have sailed there. They were, you know, heavily restricted on what they could do, but she was, yes. in my view, she was pretty much fit to sail, period. Yeah. 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 So, Jeff, when you pulled off those ceilings, you find anything strange in there? Um, well, she'd been flushed out, I think, in the 80s. Um, they ran a high-pressure fire hose, and they, they put a drain hole in the bilge. And back then, they found, you know, whale's teeth and corn cob or uh, clay pipes and things. Mm-hmm. We found a lot of more recent stuff, you know, that uh, we found, you know, flash cubes and old 
you know, funny sunglasses and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> Were they carefully logged as historical artifacts, too? I mean, well, museum actually, people. We did. When we cleaned out the village, we, we put every, you know, we vacuumed and cleaned by hand, mucked her out, and put everything in uh, big Ziploc bags, and then somebody went through with a sieve, you know, sieved the whole thing out, and, and they did. They looked for uh, any kind of artifacts. And, and we found a few things. Um, you know, there's a lot of coal in her still down in there. And so we found a lot of pieces of coal and some uh, you know, miscellaneous pieces of fastenings and things, but um, nothing, nothing really turned your head. You know, you know we're, always looking for that. We're, always, no, we're, we're always looking for the whale teeth, but we didn't find any of those. But, uh, um, it's, you know, it's, I mean, it amazes me when you dig down in the village because you feel down in there and, and you, you're grabbing onto this muck that's, like, compressed down uh, against the, the keel, but uh, it, it seems like the perfect conditions for rot, but because of the salt water and maybe the whale oil and the coal and whatever it is, you know, you clean it all out, and the timber is just as hard as a rock, you know? I, I frankly don't understand it. Well, and you got to remember good. where she, she used to work for years at a time, go to, say, the Pacific Arctic, and yep. come back in, what, four years back to Nantucket or some such, right? Yep. Yep. And again, uh, uncharted waters, uh, fighting whales, ice, uh, you know, uh, finding new rocks, all kinds of, uh, uh, you know, and they built them tough, and, and uh, they yeah. were quite the boats. Yeah. Well, apparently she ran aground uh, once, I've been told, uh, in, in Japan, Hokadate. There's a fellow making a documentary here, and I guess he's been over checking out. And he, that's the only instance I've heard of where she... Uh, she was involved in the grounding. And I don't know how they got her off. But didn't cause an earthquake, did it? Uh, I, I hope not. But uh, <laughs> could be but, the yeah, cause. She, yeah, but, but yeah, she's been around Cape Horn. You know, you have to take your shoes off to count a number of times. And same thing up in the Arctic and the, in the Antarctic. And uh, it's 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 pretty amazing, really. You no, know, those vessels are often frozen in the ice. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's yeah. another thing. They'd get caught for the winter and basically freeze in and just spend the time. Yeah. Well, 1871, the year they lost a big part of the fleet, uh, she was set to go, and I guess they changed their mind at the last minute, and their sister ship, the Emily Morgan, she went up there, and she got frozen in and, and, and never got out. But uh, they didn't take her to the Arctic that, that 1871 winter when so many of them, uh, and they had to abandon them all, you know, and and, uh, and leave them up there and, you know, and flee. But yeah. Well, you guys are doing your part to help with her longevity, but longevity is a, a tricky little thing now, isn't it, you know? And it's wonderful yeah. that that vessel's been saved and will be around for a long, long time to come. I think yeah, it's truly really a remarkable thing, yeah. yeah. Jeff, I, I hate to say this, but I've never been to the Mystic Seaport. What else do you see down there that I've got to go see? Oh, well, come on down. I'll show you around. Uh, oh, well, you know, there's... You know, for big things, they had the, the Joseph Conrad, you know, which was uh, Alan Villiers' ship for a while, and she was a you know training vessel and just square rigged and all that. She doesn't sail; they, they use her for uh, sail training with kids, you know, dockside, and then go out rowing and do all kinds of things. But and then there's a brilliant that uh, I believe she's Sparkman Stevens and Nevins built, and that she's she's just a piece of, of jewelry, you know. And I was working on a ceiling the other day, and I don't know if it was. Uh, Often the brilliant or somebody else, he says, you know that they they to give her give that boat strength. Not that she needs any more strength. She's just some solid and beautifully maintained. But she said that ceiling is actually cocked. You know, I mean, she's a yacht. 
they, they even cocked the ceiling on her, and she's got all kinds of beautiful uh, one-off, you know, cast uh, hardware and a very unusual uh, windlass with a shock absorber and all kinds of really uh, neat things. She was built during the Depression, and I guess, uh, you know, uh, but by P.T. Barnum, I believe, and I guess he had, I guess it was a good time for uh, to be in that business, and uh, so they had all the best craftsmen, you know, just hungry for work and uh, willing to work, you know, whatever it took, and and uh, the brilliant is really uh, yeah, she's, one of the more she's amazing. She's a beautiful boat. Well, that's, really that's I think that's interesting that the fellow who uh, coined the phrase "the sucker is born every minute" was prone <laughs> to boat, uh, uh, you know, uh, fantasies himself. Yeah, apparently, yeah. I like that. Yeah, Jeff, that's going to going to keep you for another season or two down there. Well, she's going. They're planning on launching her uh, July twenty first, twenty thirteen. That's uh, the anniversary of her uh, mm. launching in July twenty first, eighteen forty one. So that's twenty thirteen to put her overboard, and uh, we'll probably be doing the ceiling planking for about another four or five months, and then uh, about this time next year we'll be well into the uh, topside planking. And then, then she's got to be cocked and she's in the gold board, and then let's get ready to sail her. And, and then uh, uh, after that, I'll be doing something different. So looking forward to that, too. Cool. Well, don't be surprised if we sneak up on you sometimes. Got more reason to land down to Mystic uh, Seaport Museum right now. Well, come on down for the uh, wooden boat show. Haven't That's right. made that yet, either. Yeah. 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 Anyway, we're yeah, talking, and, talking to our friend anybody, Jeff. And, anybody listening, uh, if you come down here and... You know, it's, it's a museum, and you're welcome. You know, it's, it's set up for people to look at. But uh, you know, uh, anybody from me listening, uh, just ask for me, and uh, I'll be glad to show you around the boat. That's it, Jeff Gold. Is your yeah. name. Jeff thank Gold. you very much. Thank you. Jeff. Hey, thank you, Gibby. Yep, thank you guys. Talk to you. You best get back to work. 2013, be here for you guys. Know it. One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. There's one thing I like to say about a launching date, panic now, save time later, you know. Well, when in this country, um, there was a period after World War II where there wasn't too much interest in saving some of these old relic, relic vessels. And I, I know several that just, just got cut up, uh, and they should, they should have been saved. And, and you see, in, in Europe, particularly, they... They treasure these old uh, vessels, and they do everything to rebuild them and keep them up. Yeah. And uh, we have a fraction of, of the vessels that they have in Europe. Well, and the icons of, of uh, the disposability of them would be the Hesper and the Luther Little. used to be down by Route 1 in Wiscasset yeah. and so on, yeah. where they cut them up with backhoes and took them to the dump. Our boat talk uh, business card is an example of that, too. But we have a phone call. Let's go right to that. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hi. Um, thanks for bringing us a, a live um, experience with the Charles W. Morgan this morning. Um, I wanted to say that uh, uh, Mystic Seaport has uh, uh, on their website uh, an area where you can donate to the uh, rebuild effort, and that people who want and and people who want to see this work continue might want to send some some money their way to to kind of help pay for it. <coughs> but all the information is right on the Mystic Seaport uh, website. Yeah, I'll make another comment, too. I, I think their new curator 
is uh, probably a first-class man, and I think they're lucky to have him, and he's very energetic uh, about the, the museum. That's always good to know, because yeah. you do need somebody like that in that kind of yeah, position. Yeah. I was impressed to meet him, and I, I thought he would be an excellent curator. What's, his, what's, what's the name? I, I forget. Steve White. Oh, Steve White, the, the, the new executive director. Yeah. Yes, yeah. One, yeah. one Jeff mentioned who really wanted to save the Morgan. So what exactly is the website name? Well, let's see, because, you know, to me it's just Mystic Seaport. So I just, probably Google that and get away I just with type it. in Mystic Seaport, but yeah. it is actually um, mysticseaport.org, and there's a, a pretty restoration voyage, Charles W. Morgan, icon to the right it says help preserve an american landmark and um i hope uh, everybody will no thank you we appreciate you filling in the background there this morning where where are you calling from appreciate the show um from rockland all right (laughs) i I did my time at the seaport museum myself good for you (laughs) so thanks again that was that was really nice yeah thank you you're welcome Giffy, I have a quick question for you. Uh, when we were talking about uh, with Jeff about caulking the ceiling inside of the boat, now the pressure when the caulking on the ceiling is going to be in the opposite direction. Do you caulk it any differently than you would outside? I don't know anything about it. To be mm-hmm. honest, uh, yeah. any 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 of the old wooden vessels that I surveyed, I, there was no caulking in the ceiling planks. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. You know, if you did, it would effectively make it a, a double hull boat like they're doing yeah. with the tankers now. But yeah, I'm just wondering if you just caulk it and hope that the swelling holds it in or what? No, I've never found any caulking in the ceiling plank. Hmm. We look like we're about three quarters of the way through boat talk this morning, somehow or another. And, and we'll give the phone number one more time. So we'd it's love a, it if you give a call. Another little interesting side comment. I saw a picture in the. Coastal news of the Laura B being launched again, and she's an old Army T boat that's uh, been a passenger boat on the Monhegan Port Clyde Monhegan uh, mail run for a long time, and it's wonderful to see that old boat uh, getting a lot of work done on her and keeping her going in fine condition. Well, and the people that take care of Laura B, they take care of her and, and top. Uh, yeah, they're really stay yeah, on top yeah, of stuff. Yeah, stay on top of her, and and she's a hard working boat. Yeah, a wooden uh, yeah. Uh, built in World War Two for the army, and, he built, and uh, yeah, and I think he built forty or forty one. Yeah, sardine carrier looking kind of thing for yeah, my eye. Designed by Walter McGinnis. Yeah, and uh, like I say on the run back and forth to Monhegan, there was yeah. a great article in Wooden Boat Magazine about that a while ago. We're just about to give the phone number one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. We got uh, like say a few more minutes in boat talk this morning. We also speaking of big boats, we got to mention what's going down in Belfast right now. The new uh, Belfast shipyard is uh, under construction at a, at the present time at the old uh, sardine cannery site there, and. We're talking about the difference between the yachts that Alan and I and, and Jeff used to work on, the Hinkleys and, and that kind of stuff, and, and the big boats. Now, this new Belfast shipyard is going to be a little bit of a different kind of boatyard for the state of Maine. And the people that are in it are very experienced, and they know what they're doing, and there's a lot of energy going in there. The uh, market that they are after is, is the big boats, as we call them, uh, heavy metal. We call some of them uh, the mega yachts. And these are... Um, these are the big boats that are 
come with full crews, captains, stewards, mates, engineers, that sort of thing, uh, often with foreign registry. That's another boat talk. Uh, Square rooms. Yeah, that's another boat talk uh, <laughs> thing we like to do. They don't even put American flags on these boats. They're so expensive. But it's a step up in the, the major yacht market, and uh, we don't do a lot of that repair here in the state of Maine, a little bit in Camden. Um, at whatchamacallit's there, but uh, uh, Wayfarer, but uh, this is a kind of a new attack on, on the yacht uh, market. Good idea. Some we very got, experienced people and got the a very good spot there right downtown Belfast. Well, they, they intend to, to also build new, new, yep. new buildings. They, got, they have ambitions. And, and, you know, they're for a person in my position, I consider them a fairly high-tech boat it's uh, all this scrimp infusion process, and, uh, you know, they're high-tech boats. They've got a lot of high-tech equipment in them. Yeah, mm -hmm. they hope and to have that up and running by early early this summer, and like I say, they're yeah. going great guns right now. We I have I another wish, call. I wish, them, I wish them a lot of luck. I think, it's, uh, I think it's good for the area, good for everybody involved in it. It's good. a lucrative market, too, but yeah. the phone's been rung. Yep. Same good morning. Long. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hey, good morning. Um, this is Dan from Rockland. Hi, Dan. I uh, have a very boring and mundane question for you wildly experienced and brilliant boat repair people. Uh, we're going to throw <laughs> it over uh, to Gary it, Wheeler. I, I feel a trap coming. <laughs> uh, it's not really a trap. It's just uh, a concern of an awful lot of folks. What are you folks recommending for the most durable, long-lasting teak finish these days? What? what? Teak, teak finish? finish. Yeah, teak, teak finish, yeah. And what's the... I mean, yeah, we got to... It depends good, on where the teak is. Good, good old-fashioned sealer, a couple of coats of sealer, and good quality varnish. That's yeah. it. Unless yeah. that's the deck. We're not going to varnish the deck. What, are, what no, kind of no, teak are we sealing here? Combings and rails, that sort of thing? Yeah, tow rails. Well, I'd, some people, are, I, I'm not experienced at it, but some people are using uh, clear, clear all grip on top of it. Oh, uh, after the varnish, and yeah. basically what what uh, Dan is referring to, there are a lot of products out there that advertise one one coat will fix your teak forever. It'll be perfectly yeah. uh, beautiful to look at. It'll wear forever, and and there's never been a uh, miracle uh, in a can yet that's better than the varnish, which is very labor intensive. And when it goes to well, hell, it's it, it is and it isn't because. Uh, I used to work on a couple of, two, well, several yachts that were all extensive right work. And it's just, you don't let it get away from you. That's, that's it. It's got to stay on where top of people things. people run into problems is they, they, they don't put enough, when you start from scratch, yep. you don't put enough coats of varnish on it to begin with. You need to have something like around least... Seven. Perhaps six coats, six seven eight, coats yeah. of varnish, yeah. and then and then when it starts to, you know, weather a little bit, you just sand it down, give it a coat. But people want to let it go, you know. Yeah. The let reason the reason for that much varnish too is you're filling in the grain of the wood, and again building the. Well, protective that's why you uh, want to use at least two coats of clear sealer on it first. Yeah. Used to work on a boat where they thought this Semco stuff was the best thing in the world. And then one time the fellow come along and go, how come that teak's all orange? What the hell? Oh, get rid of that. Yeah, yeah all that. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm again, against, there's been lots of miracles. I'm against and I, all of it. And the thing that I'm really against is these two-part teak cleaners for decks. Oh, and boy. 
Uh, it's, yeah. it's the worst thing you could possibly put on any teak. Because they're acid and they, yeah, they so take the... The acids are so strong, it just it takes the soft or pulpy part of the wood right out. Makes it very grainy. Yeah. Yeah, we do have another phone call. Yeah. So I guess we'll have to say that our best uh, teak sealer... Best teak finish is elbow grease. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Good, good luck. Good luck with the teak, Dan. Good morning. We have another phone call. Welcome to Boat Talk. Thank you very much. This is Sonny from Planet. Hey, Sonny. Morning, Sonny. Uh, know something about varnish and teak? Oh, just a little bit. Um, the rule of thumb that I've always gone by on raw wood, uh, you use eight coats minimum, uh, and you don't start to really see any progress until about coat five. Yeah, and again, you look at it, yeah. and it'll yeah. have little uh, divots in it. That's why they quit. Yeah. You know, yeah. because, I mean, you know, the people especially that do their own uh, vanish work, every five minutes they're looking at their watch because they got a golf game to go to <laughs> or, or somebody to yeah. pick up somewhere else. Yeah. Whereas me, you know, I don't have a damn thing to do all day except vanish your boat. Yeah. You know, and that's it. Yeah. But uh, uh, and as far as the all grip, it, that's beautiful because I can get five coats of that on in a day with a clear. But the thing is, it has no uh, UV protection. Yeah. How do you feel about it? Uh, oh, I'm goofy in a pet coon after I've used that stuff. Uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't do it. Well, it. Uh, well, Giffy, I'll tell you what. Uh, when the hurricane or whatever it was went through Castine about three years ago, uh, I could tell uh, I'd already done about four of the Castine class sailboat masts, and I'd used uh, five coats of all craft and three coats of varnish. And the hailstones that uh, accompanied that storm uh, I could tell the mass that didn't have all craft from the ones that did. It was dented. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, well, it was dented down to the all craft, but it stays rubbery enough so it, it doesn't uh, uh, damage the wood. Hmm. But, yeah, and the, but the, uh, the varnish was cracked all the way to the wood. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I've had some experience with uh, a similar situation where Particularly the mass got damaged on the leading edges. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. When well, we talk about all grip, we're talking about paint, which is kind of, think of automobile quality paint sort of oh, thing. Yeah. Uh, very high-tech, very, very nauseous, very uh, Originally, two I parts. Originally, uh, airplanes. Yeah, uh, you want to run from it, but, uh, you know. Not casual paint. We do yeah. have another phone call, Sonny, so okay. we're trying to squeeze uh, in. Well, yeah. Thank you for your show, guys. Oh, yeah, thank talk you. Talk to you later. Bye. Good morning. We have just a couple minutes left on Boat Talk. You have the final word. Uh, that means I have to speak really quickly. <laughs> uh, Michael, how are you? Good, good. Well, I'm, um, I just want to say quickly, I'm with Giffy. Two coats of, of I Like Pettit Old Sailing Clear Sealer. That's my favorite product for the, to get a bite onto the wood. And, and I use an old technique. Um, I've run into people who frown on it, but I got it out of a book from the 1920s called The Ship's Husband by H.A. Callahan, the man who invented flixing. And uh, what I do whenever I get the opportunity is I lay three coats of varnish down with no sanding in between. Just catch it after it's just gone past tacky. Um, don't do it too early or you'll get crinkle finish, but you just wait. You get a chemical bond. 
it's a little harder because you can't see where you've been if you're working with gloss varnish. But you get three coats on, you let it sit for a couple of days, you give it a good sanding, get three more coats on in the same way. Sometimes you can get two coats in one day. Down in Massachusetts, I've managed three coats in one day. Yeah. And, uh, and then you let it cure a couple of few days and give it your sanding and put your seventh and final coat on. And I'm, I'm also with Giffy and the other guy there. Seven is a minimum. And, um, and that's it. And it works really great. And um, I don't claim to have invented the technique, but the worst thing about varnishing is the sanding, in my opinion. And the crazy, brilliant, I believe, was built for Walter I, Barnum, not P.T. I, I yeah. guess I've got a small mind, because I, I never, ever minded sanding and varnishing nice woodwork. Well, Come on over any time. <laughs> I'll give you a piece of sandpaper. <laughs> well, we're trying to build up thickness here, so we put on some varnish, and we're trying to build up a great thickness and fill in the grain and, and get a, a uh, uh, wearing layer there. But every every time we build up some thickness, we sand a bunch of it off. The man that uh, wants to play golf when he's trying to varnish should, shouldn't have a boat. You just go play golf. Yeah. <laughs> well... That certainly does finish it up for Boat Talk today. Time to make room for Jim Bahoosh coming up next with On the Wing here on Community Radio, WERU-FM Blue Hill in Bangor at 99.9. Thank you all. Thank you, Thank you Giffy. Yep, good morning. Support for Boat Talk comes from Gamble and Hunter Sailmakers, making sales for classic boats, cruising boats, and the main wind jammers for over 20 years. Near the harbor in Camden, gambleandhunter.net. Support for Boat Talk also comes from Windward Passage, a co-ed program providing Maine's middle and high school students.